Well, I stand before you today very humbled, very humbled. I am, our two-year transition uh, is over. We have spent two years, my wife and I, and, and ministering here. And um, before you know it, two years have passed and pastor is gone. And that's a scary thing. And uh, the Lord is, is just has to be gracious. Um, I've had the privilege of being in ministry and um, the ministry uh, with Capital Ministries is the ministry I was in. And during that time, it was eight years, and my ministry was at the Capitol. And I was, I was dealing with uh, men and women there at the Capitol. And, and the whole time, my thoughts were, man, I wish this were a church. God works in the church. And you, as much as we could, we had tried to place that ministry under the auspices of a local church. And it was a local church ministry. And then I had to uh, provide for my family, and I took a job at Chick-fil-A, managing there. And the whole time that I was there, it was, I just wish this was a church. Lord, give me an opportunity to minister. I love God's people. I want to, to bring God's word to bear upon their lives. And, and today, the Lord has given me that opportunity. And it's a very humbling thing, and it's a very frightening thing. It's a very sobering thing for us, and it's the Lord has just been very, very gracious, very gracious. And you have been such a gracious church. I mean, you don't know me, you don't know my family, and you know some of you are. You know, we've been here two years, and some of you are looking at who is this guy that you know shaves his head like Mister Clean, or you know, and you know wears these suits and all of this. You know, as this strange guy and. You know, as we have opportunities, I desire to get to know you. I, I want to uh, to take that opportunity, to every opportunity, to, to to know you and have you know us. And and um, this is such a privilege, and it's such a privilege to, to be at, at Daniel's Bible Church. I was a college student here, and I, I just loved it. I didn't have a chance to speak last week, but Pastor Flager, he did my pre-marriage counseling. Me and Ruthie being together for 22 years. Yesterday was our anniversary, 22 years. That applause is for my wife. She's uh, she's stuck with it. But 22 years ago, he discipled us, or he he brought us in, and he said, uh, have you, "Are you doing pre-marriage counseling?" We said, "No." I said, "We would we'd love to have you do that." And so we went through the books, and we went through the the training, and and it, and it took, it worked. And, uh, the, you know, Pastor Flager has just ministered to our lives. And, and so we, we feel so much a part of Daniel's Bible Church. Even through the years, I've kept up with Pastor Flager and, and his ministry here. And, and just thank the Lord for his faithfulness. And I saw the results of that faithfulness this week. It really is an amazing thing. And to have our electricity go off on a Friday night and, and basically everything just shuts down. Saturday, just just chaos at the gas pumps, and and people were looking for, you know, uh, gasoline and and ice, and uh, you know, and actually at that time, Saturday morning, I was out, and people were just assessing what they need. What are we going to need? You know, oh, two or three days, and then then word gets out. Well, maybe a week. 
So then you're beginning to think, oh no, this is pretty serious. And the lines get get angry sometimes. And the, you know, it gets frustrating and it's difficult and you've got to provide for your family. And it's, it's been a difficult week. But then my focus was, last week was here. My focus was, you know, trying to honor our pastor and his last Sunday. And I'm sitting down here and there's an announcement that was made that I had nothing to do with. I didn't even know that they're going to have, they're going to be feeding people out, out here at the church this evening. Going to just make hot dogs. Anybody needs a hot dog in the community, please come. And I just think, what a blessing. What a blessing to be among God's people and to see them at work. That's the way the church works, isn't it? And, and to come and to see these, these couples. I, I know Micah Davis and, and, and many, many couples were here and they were feeding people and, and it was just ministry was taking place. I didn't organize that. I didn't do that. That was in spite of me. And my focus was somewhere else. And we were just so blessed. So blessed to be able to to be in the position that, that God has just granted us with. And my wife would say the same thing. And we spent some time in prayer last night just thanking the Lord for this opportunity. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, You are so kind. We, we recognize our, our frailty, Lord. Lord, You just take electricity away for a little while and we, our worlds just fall apart. And we, we recognize, Lord, that we are so insufficient, so needy, so dependent. Um, Lord, we, we recognize that without Your grace, if you, if you pulled Your grace away just for a second, if You turned Your back just for a little bit, we would, we would just disintegrate, Lord. We, we are frail people. We are needy people. Lord, uh, we come together, though. We, we come to worship You. We, we, we come to be encouraged by the teaching of Your Word. We come to be encouraged by just the fellowship of one another. Lord, may we do that today. Lord, we, we come before Your Word. I pray that it would, would teach our hearts and our minds today. Lord, don't let me get in the way of Your message. I pray that You would speak. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I just want you to see a few things. Now, here's what's on my heart. The next few weeks, I, I just want to present to you um, just some essentials that I believe in that the church needs to be aware of so that essentially so that we can all be on the same page, so that we can understand how the church is to function, what the church is to do, what the role of the pastor is. Um, it's amazing to me that God even uses men. You know, it should all just be the way it was with Paul, just on the way to Damascus and all of a sudden, boom, a being of light and he goes blind and... And uh, the Lord speaks to him, and every you know, and the Lord converts that man right there. But the Lord chooses to use men. 
he chooses to use ordinary, incapable men, really. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 10, just keep your finger there. You don't have to turn to Romans, but let me read it. It's a verse you already know. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the salvation part. That's the work of God in people's lives. The Lord does that. But here it goes on. How will they call upon whom they have not believed? The believing has to be there, right? Obviously. And how can they believe upon whom they have not heard? We have to hear about God. You have to hear about Christ and His work on the cross. And it goes on. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear? Well, the answer is, they won't. How will, then they, how will they preach unless they are sent? And it goes on to say, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings, good news. The Lord chooses to use imperfect men. Now, I don't understand that. I don't know why. If it was up to me, I would just, man... I would make a robot or something or use angels or, you know, do it the way he did with Paul. But I believe even in Paul's circumstance, I believe that men had to work in Paul's lives and and Paul had to know who Christ was and there was information that was probably given to Paul early on. But God doesn't necessarily, I mean, he uses men, but he doesn't necessarily use the, the physically attractive man. You know, with the nice wavy hair. Or, or the, the, the physically strong male. Or the, the one with the, most, the best administrative skills. Or the, the best leader, leadership ability. No, it's the message, actually, that God uses. It's the message that we, that we adhere to. Essentially, it's the Word of God that, that God uses. And, and he gets the glory for that. It's not in the strong man. It's not in the, the alpha male that gets to be the leader of the church because he can beat up everybody else. It's not the quick tongue or the, the, the best debater or the loudest voice or the most opinionated person or the strongest personality. It's not that. Now, if we were in charge, if we were trying to build the church, we would probably want that. We would have that, that, that strong personality that can just come in and just dominate. And many churches are built based upon a personality, based upon physical human strength and, and ability to, to get things accomplished. But over 40 years of ministry of Pastor Flager, the war, this Daniel's Bible Church, I am so blessed to say that Daniel's Bible Church is built upon just the Word of God. He was a very humble man. It was based just upon the, the Word of God. It was based upon truth. And God gets the glory for that. No one man gets the glory for that. God gets the glory because it's just His Word at work in people's lives. And it's an amazing thing to, to see, to, to, to witness now, concerning this, I, I want you to, to note one verse. And again, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to note it. First Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, uh, But in case I am delayed, I write to you, and this is to Timothy, so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That's sobering. And he goes on to explain 
to describe the church as the, the pillar and support of the truth. Somewhat of a, a loose definition. Here's what the church is. And, I, and I'm telling you, there's nothing more sobering than trying to step into the shoes of a, of a man that's been here for 40 years. And nothing more comforting than to read a verse like that. That it's the truth. It's the Word of God. It's not the power within the man. It's the truth that He proclaims that changes people's lives. Because I cannot, I cannot fill Pastor Flager's shoes. I honestly thought about bringing, bringing the biggest shoe that I could and just, just put it up here. And try to put it on or something. That'd be silly. I'm not, I'm not going to do that kind of stuff. It's not going to do those antics. But I want you to get the point. I, can't, I just can't do that. That's not me. But it's good to read that Timothy was told by Paul that the church is the pillar of truth. It's the Word of God that's elevated in the church. And I believe in 2 Timothy, and, and that's just where we are, I believe in 2 Timothy... Paul gives us three commands, or he gives Timothy three commands to fulfill that responsibility, to make sure that the church is the pillar, that the church remains the pillar of truth, the pillar in the support of truth. In fact, what we see is, according to that verse, is that the truth is like the hub of the, the wheel. The ministry are the spokes. It's, it's like a big wagon wheel. The hub of truth. And you have those ministry spokes going everywhere. And that wheel just turns. It's not one person. It's not one ministry. It's many ministries. But the truth is just cranked out. It's just everybody's on the same page. Yes, this is the truth. We recognize this is the truth. The truth is proclaimed. And the truth just continues to be proclaimed. So it's not about just giving away hot dogs, is it? We know that. That's just, that's just helping the community. It's about getting the truth in people's lives. Because we know that the truth is going to change people's lives. Not the hot dogs. We understand that. But we are involved in the community. We're out there in the community. If we, if we can provide and help the community in that way, we're going to do that. We're going to use every opportunity to minister. And those are the spokes. But what's essential is that the church, and for the church to be that that central uh, pillar of the truth, support of the truth, then somebody has to be in charge of that. So what we find then is the, the role of the pastor, <clears throat> the responsibility of the pastor, is that he is to make sure, make sure that the church remains the pillar and support of the truth. And that's exactly what we find when we come to 2 Timothy. Paul is passing the baton of ministry to Timothy, just like Pastor has passed the baton of ministry to me. And he's given, Paul has given three commands to Timothy. Now, can you imagine the, the situation Timothy's in? He's trying to fulfill the, or, or, or fit the shoes of Paul, the apostle. I mean, I, I'm trying to fill the shoes of Don Flager. But I can't imagine. I mean, Paul was an apostle. He could do miracles. He was God's man and everybody knew it. He was there at the, uh, 
church of Ephesus for three years and he ministered to people and they loved him. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 19 and 20. They loved him. They hated to see him go. But he was basically chased out of town. He was th- his life was threatened and they, were, they would have killed him. If they would have seen him, they would have killed him. And it's an interesting story. It's great reading. If you want to read that story, it's in the book of Acts. And just start uh, reading through the missionary journeys of Paul. And you see all of these things. And Paul's gone all of a sudden overnight. And Timothy's left there. And Timothy's, you know, you can see, you can understand. Timothy might be a little timidated. I don't know if I can do this. So Paul writes him an, another letter. And um, by the way, look at... You're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at chapter 1. This is just a kind of on the side. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. So Timothy even, even needed a little push. Timothy, it's okay. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Get in there. Get in there ministry. And that's kind of the tone of this passage. Now you're thinking by... By this time, you're, you're thinking to yourself, why do I care? What difference does it make that Paul told Timothy three things, three commands of, of uh, concerning the church, concerning the truth of the church, and to make sure that the church is the pillar of truth? And what does it matter to you? Well, here's, here's what it matters. It should matter to you. It should matter to you. Because we're all on the same wheel. We all... We all are this ministry. Daniel's Bible Church is not one person. We all need to be a part of the team. We're a team. We work together. That's the way this whole thing is. And let me give you another reason. It's for the glory of God. Does that matter? Absolutely. There's many, many churches that are out there doing all kinds of things. There's so many different ideas of what the church is to be like and what the pastor is to do. There's many ideas. What we want to do is focus on what God wants us to do for the glory of God, for His glory, for His glory. So your participation, your understanding of these things, you, you pull together, we pull together as a team, you're getting on board with this, helps it to run smoothly. And we're going to go over a few things, uh, some essentials for ministry. Next week, we'll, we'll talk about missions. I want you to be aware of that. There's some essential things. Now, look at the first command. First command is in verse 13. Now, this is a dominant command. There's three, three dominant commands, actually four, but there's three dominant commands that I want you to see in 2 Timothy here. And it's concerning how, to, how Timothy is to make sure the church is to be the pillar and support of the truth. And here's the first command. He says, Timothy, retain the standard of sound words. Retain it. Grab hold of it and hang on to it. It's a command. It's not a passive thing. It's a very aggressive thing. It's a a dominant command, even. And it's to to hold or possess, but it's not just to, to, to passively hold, but it's to aggressively hold on to. Hold on to the standard of sound words. Those things that have been taught to you, Timothy. That body of truth that has been entrusted to you, grab hold on it. That truth, hang on to it. And then the second one, and there's, a, there's these two commands come together here. 
verse 14, guard, guard through the Holy Spirit that was, um, which has been entrusted to you. So, so Timothy is, there's kind of dual commands here. Grab a hold of it and guard it, Timothy. This is the truth. And you, and it's been entrusted to you, and I want you to grab it and hang on to it. I want you to keep hold of it. Re, res, reserve it close to yourself. Now, I was trying to think of some illustrations of this. I have five kids, and it's one thing to just kind of possess five kids. I, 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 they're my kids. They're mine and my wife's kids. We, we have them. I could say we own them, but it's, eh, it doesn't sound right, does it? But they're our kids, right? You understand that. But then... If you were to try to take one of my kids away, I would grab hold of that kid. I would hang on to that kid, and, and there would be a tug, tug of war there. I, I'm not going to let that kid go. I mean, he's mine, but he's mine because I'm grabbing it. You see the difference? We have a lot of little babies around in our church. I don't know if you've noticed, but just recently, I don't know what happened, but we've just exploded. We have all of these babies around, and it's, and it's amazing. Those moms, they hold on to that baby, don't they? They grab hold of it, they, and, and they, they hang on to this thing. and They, they even get those straps and, and wind that baby tight to their body. And, and, man, that baby's not going anywhere, you know. He's flopping around. His, his arms are there, and his, probably his eyes are bugging out, and, and, and he's just tight. You give that baby to the dad, and what does he do? Wee! Th- that's it. Timothy has been instructed, grab hold of it. Hang on to it. Don't let it go. Now, why would he say that about truth? Why would he say that? Because truth slips away slowly, almost imperceptibly, undetected, just slowly. And it can be lost so easily. So somebody has to be at the helm and say, this is truth. We will not move from this. And I tell you what, there's a whole lot of ideas outside these four walls. And truth can slip away. It's kind of like money. We have money. We hang on to the money. We try to hang on to money. But it, we get nickeled and dimed to death. It just goes. It just goes. And before you know it, that tax refund is gone. Oh, where did it go? I don't know. I put it over here and it's gone. That's kind of the way it is. But here's what happens to the truth. It's first just just questioned. It's kind of like Satan. Has God really said? And then it's analyzed and overanalyzed. And then people get kind of bored of the truth. And they begin to stretch the truth. And they get creative with the truth. And take the truth beyond the support of Scripture. They kind of stretch it. Because, why? Because it's It sells. People like to read new stuff, man. The old stories, you know, that doesn't cut it. We want to read something new. And and you get bored of the truth. And so so it's easy to be led away by by just little nuggets of truth that that kind of are expanded and really you buy into more lie than truth. But also truth in our day seems to be irrelevant. In fact, we kind of look silly hanging on to truth that just does not matter to the rest of the world. You know, for example, I hang on to the truth that that God or Christ, or God came in the flesh in the form of Christ. Christ was fully God. We hang on to that truth. I guard that truth. And then I look around and and the world says, well, what are you hanging on to that for? Nobody really cares. 
That's irrelevant. What does that matter? And you're made to feel pretty ignorant. And there's ridicule. But the truth must not be diluted. In all of this, somebody's got to say, we've got to hang on to this truth. Here's Here's the truth. Here's the core essentials. And what's the source of that? Right here. You know that. Why is truth so important? Well, St. Augustine said, I just found this quote, I thought it was really interesting. He says, when, when regard for truth has been broken down, or even slightly re- uh, weakened, when regard for truth has been broken down or, or slightly weakened, all things remain in doubt or doubtful. And folks, that's exactly where Satan would love for us to be. Just that constant doubting, oh, I'm not sure, I haven't really landed on that issue, I don't really know, I haven't really studied that out in the Scripture, we just don't know. And you see many, many churches like that. They don't really take a stand on anything. It's kind of wishy-washy. A.W. Tozer said it like this, the, um, the unattended garden will soon be overcome by weeds. The, the heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be theological wasteland, a theological wilderness where, where nothing's really happening. It's just kind of all messed together. It's, there's, there's no real conviction. There's no real truth. Truth must be held on to. That's what Paul's command to Timothy was. If the church is going to remain the pillar of truth, somebody's got to grab hold of it and hang on to it. And that kind of falls to the pastor. Pastor, make sure that that the, the truth is here and the truth is being taught. And how do I do that? You know what? Everything that you every all the decisions that you make are is based upon theology, about your attitude toward God, or about some knowledge of God. Everything basically can be transferred back to your thinking about God. Respect for God or no respect for God. Does He exist or not exist? Everything can go back to that. All of the decisions, the words that you use, the um, the things that uh, you like and dislike, your whole life basically is built upon some theology, some framework in your mind. And I care. I care what you think. I care what you listen to. I care what you read. I care what influences your life. I think it's important. It's important to me even. But here's the deal. Here's what I can't do. I can't isolate you from the world. Can, it, can you do that? Timothy, uh, you isolate those people. You get them in the compound, the compound and you don't let them out so the world can't influence them. We can't do that. Some churches try to do that, isolate their people so much that they, um, they're essentially brainwashed and they're only thinking one way. No, we can't do that at all. What do I do? My responsibility is to teach discernment, teach you the truth so that you can spot error. Teach me the truth. I'm working through this myself as well. And, and we should be able to spot the error. I think you get the, the point. Another thing that I, I need to do is I'm responsible for all these classes that are, that are taught at Daniel's Bible Church. We've got to make sure that the truth is being taught there, that the Word of God is being taught. So we, we're very careful about curriculum that we use. We're, we're, we're concerned, we're cautious about the, the quality or the character of the people that we let teach. 
So we kind of guard those things. Those are essential things. And then you probably don't even think about those because that's the way the church has been. That's just what we do. And that's true. And that's good. But there's a lot of churches out there that don't think like that, that don't elevate the Word of God to the proper position that it needs to be. You say again, how does that apply to me? What can I do about that? Number, Let me just give you some applications here. Number one is just, just realize that this word is not passive, that it's a dominant influence, that it is truth. It can change lives. Number two, realize the source of truth is the Word of God and realize it needs to be guarded. Even in your own life, even among your own children, I know you're concerned. What are they reading? What are they watching on the Internet or the the TV? You're, You're concerned about those things. And you teach them discernment. You teach them how to think through their world. You can't isolate them. You teach them how. So you need to do the same thing. You need to guard the truth in your own heart, in your own mind. Another thing that we do, we tend to do, is just kind of take the truth for granted. Well, let me tell you, in this world, we cannot take the truth for granted. Um, We also need to develop a hunger for truth. Um, and then, and how do we do that? Well, we look for the right thing to do in the right situation. Look for the right thing to do. What is the right thing to do? What would Christ do? What would, what um, wisdom would I gain from the Word of God that would help me in this decision? When we are elevating the Word of God to its proper place, that's the way we look at it. And by way of application, that's what I encourage you today. We, we have to do this. This is important. We evaluate our own lives. Are we living up to this truth? Are we guarding this truth? Is this truth important to us? As a church, essentially one of my responsibilities is to make sure that the pillar and support of the truth remains in the church. And I do that by guarding this truth, by retaining this truth. Here's another command. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Here's another dominant command. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, Timothy, you're to entrust this truth, the things that you have heard in the presence of many witnesses, the things that you've been entrusted with, entrust these to faithful men. Now, I believe that this goes beyond beyond uh, just discipleship, because these men are supposed to be faithful. But to entrust means to to give it over to them, to to put it in their lap, if you will, to entrust it. And it's essentially what Paul did to Timothy. He entrusted ministry to Timothy. Look over at at 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. This command... I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. He he entrusted it to Timothy. It's yours now, Timothy. You guard on to it, and then you pass it on to others. Look at chapter 6 in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It's been entrusted to you, Timothy. You guard it, you hang on to it, and then you pass it to others. Now, who is he to pass it to? 
Well, Timothy was to pass it on to the next generation, obviously. But he was, we understand this as well. We try to illustrate this. Men, in your jobs, you wouldn't want just anyone coming and doing your job for you. They're going to mess it up. They're, they're not trained to do that job. In the mines, I believe it's 180 hours of being a red hat before you become a black hat. Red hat, they're not going to entrust certain things to a red hat. He just is not ready there. He's not ready yet. Hasn't proven himself yet. Timothy, look for, the, look for those that have proven themselves. Look for the black hats. Those that have, have done that. Here's another illustration. Um, if you're a pilot or, or if, you, if you've flown in a plane, you, um, you would not want that plane to be entrusted to somebody that doesn't know what they do, they're doing, do they? Would you? You say, well, how many flight hours do you have? Well, just one or two. Well, I'm going to take the next flight. It's important that this body of truth be entrusted to somebody else that's going to be able to pass it on to somebody else, that's going to guard it, to see it as valuable, and will will entrust it to somebody else. And Timothy was to be looking for faithful men, faithful men that he can entrust this to, those that are, that are there listening to his teaching, that obey the Word of God when it's, when it's spoken, and those who regard the truth as as valuable and guard it themselves. And it's a natural thing then to entrust it to somebody that's reliable. Somebody that you can place responsibility and full confidence in. <clears throat> now the world, the world doesn't necessarily, I mean, the world would be looking for the alpha male, the natural born leader the physically strong, the wise, the handsome, the cool, the richest. Well, you know the scenario. The church, the church, though, looks for faithfulness. That's different from the world, isn't it? It's faithfulness. Is He here? Is He faithful? Is He doing what, uh, what the Word of God says? Yeah, you know what? He's trying. He's, he's, he's getting those kids rallied around and He's, he's teaching those kids. Those kids are, are, are obedient now. And those are the characteristics then that we begin to look for in a, in a leader in the church. Someone that we can place full confidence that he has, he's going to open up the Word of God and dispense the truth to God's people so that the, the, the will of ministry continues. The will of ministry doesn't run out so that the, the truth is guarded. Here's, here's what F, uh, F.B. Myers said. He said, don't waste your life waiting uh, and longing for, for large opportunities or big opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. Faithfulness. That's what we're to look for. That's what's important in God's kingdom. And there's no... Better example than our pastor, Pastor Flager. He's been faithful, just, just giving out the truth, just discipling people, entrusting that truth to other people, and, uh, and guarding that truth, elevating that truth as important. They said, um, 
I know that uh, Warren Wiersbe said about uh, Charles Spurgeon that uh, he, of course, spoke to thousands, thousands of people in London and throughout that, that countryside. But he, he started by passing out tracts and teaching a, a little uh, uh, children's Sunday school class or teen Sunday school class. And then he began to, to, to get opportunities to preach to these little country churches out uh, along, along the, uh, in the villages. And here's what he says about that. He says, I am perfectly sure that if I had not been willing to preach to these little small gatherings of people in obscure places, I, could, I, would, I, should, not, I should never have had the, the privilege of preaching to thousands of men and women in large buildings over all of the land. You be faithful on the little things. That's the principle. It's kind of different from the world. The world wants that dominant leader that's going to rally the the troops and and pull everybody together and say, let's go get them. God's looking for the faithful man. The faithful man that can be entrusted with the truth to give the truth out so that there there could be many points of ministry in the community. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me tell you, we're doing that here. How do we do that? Well, have kids. Have kids. We entrust it to our children, don't we? And we're doing that. Man, we have kids here. And then the church comes alongside those families and, in, and in helps those kids or helps those families and, uh, and, and comes alongside them and, uh, and trains them. And then we, uh, we train up godly families and we train up godly men and they get their, their function, they get their practice in the home and then in small ministries. They're faithful in the home in this training and then uh, and they, they develop convictions and, and confidence and then we relinquish more and more responsibility to them. And then we have to identify them. Are they faithful? Are they here? And then we give them continue to give them opportunity. Here's another way. They, they come from within the church, right? And we entrust these to faithful men, but they have to come from outside the church too. We have to go and evangelize. We have to go get them. There's men and women that God wants to bring in this church. And it's our responsibility to just find out who they are and bring them in. Go out. We don't know who's, wor- who's God's working in their heart. And it just they just need... The word, they need to be told, they need to hear. And it could be you. The Lord may use you to do that, to bring them in. Um, so that the truth is elevated and the church is remains the pillar and support of the truth by holding on to it and by passing it to faithful men. And there's one more, and let me give you uh, this last one and We'll draw a conclusion here. Chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. But let me start with verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. There's a whole lot in there. But what you get from that verse is, this is important. That's what Paul wants you to get. That's what Paul wanted Timothy to get. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. That's pretty good. 
That's pretty strong. And Christ, that's pretty strong. And this God that judges. And He's the God of the living and the dead. Boy, we have to... That's pretty sobering. He's going to judge and He's the judging of the living and the dead. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sobering. This is important, Timothy. This is important. So, so everything's building up to this last command. And here it is. He says, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient, Timothy. And then he goes on. Here's, how the, here's the characteristics of this preaching. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. How do we, how do we hang on to the truth? How do we dispense the truth? How do we make sure the truth is... The, or the church is the pillar and support of the truth. We preach it. We give it out. We continuously preach the Word of God. That's the preaching, essentially. The word preaching here the, in the Greek is, is to announce in a public way, but it's to do it authoritatively, as though, as though you were speaking for the king. And it's to proclaim, the, proclaim with... Uh, with the goal of persuading, with urgency, with warning, warning to comply. Another responsibility then of the pastor is to, to preach this word, to make sure this, this truth gets out. Now, that's pretty sobering. It's pretty, pretty strong language, reprove. That means to, to expose the faults. Expose the, the things, to bring conviction upon somebody's life, to expose their bad behaviors and their bad thinking. And he says to rebuke them, to bring them under warning, speak severely to them uh, and to warn them, then to exhort them or to come alongside them, encourage them and to urge them. Those are, that's the nature of this preaching. And you know what? That doesn't win friends and influence people, does it? That's pretty harsh. Nobody wants that. But we're to teach the whole counsel of God we see in Scripture. We're not to be creative with the truth and be clever with the truth. We're not to give our man's opinions. We're not to give man's logic or to man's word, but God's word. We're not to just create little hominies or little sermonettes. And I tell you what, just a perfect example of this. The other day we had the privilege of going camping and we had uh, several people from the church there, and, and, and J.D. Um, spoke on, on Sunday morning. And I'm telling you, it was just a blessing to my heart. He opened the Word of God. It was from, I think it was from 2 Timothy. And he just went through the passage, the whole text, the whole uh, chapter of 2 Timothy, and just read it, just kind of explained it, and there it is. Man, that's good. That's the Word of God. Just, just release it. Just get it out there. Get it out there. We have a strong mandate in this church to preach the Word of God. It's, it may not be entertaining. It may not be the best speaker that you've ever heard. Uh, in fact, I can tell you it won't be. But it will be the truth. It will be the truth. Now, let me tell you something that I've learned. And I've learned it over the past uh, year since I've been preaching here. And it's very sobering to me. It's very convicting to me. It's very convicting. I've learned that I don't have to tell you all the truth in one sermon. 
I know. It's surprising, isn't it? I don't have to tell you all, everything that I know or everything that the Word of God says in one sermon. I can, I can, I can take my time. I can illustrate it. I can, I can explain it. I can, I can work through it. Now, now, I appreciate your patience with me on this. I really do. I, I, I mean, I had to learn this. I had to learn this. I appreciate your, your kindness and your grace in listening to, to data dumps, you might call them. And I, I don't want to do that. Now, I can give the data. And sometimes it's good to be overwhelmed by the truth. But I tell you, when, it, when, it, when it's just constantly coming at you, it's hard to, hard to do something with it. So as best as I can, I will break it down into small portions and, and we'll, we'll mull it over and we'll think through it and, and we'll apply it to, to our lives. Let me give you another thing that I've learned. I've learned that the Word of God should not be boring. The Word of God should not be boring. And I, because it's not. This is the Word of the living God and it is powerful and it is living. It can work in your heart. It is, it is alive. It's an incredible book. It's not like any textbook. It's, it's different. It's different. And I, I, I should not make it boring. And I will try my best. I will try my best to not make it boring. It is not boring. It is not. I mean, just sitting and reading it is not boring. It is, it is living. And if your heart is so inclined, you, you will resonate with the truth that's found there. And you will be excited about what is being stated there. And, and I need to reflect that in my preaching. And I will try to do that. Another thing that I've learned is that, that I should make application. I should make application to your life and to my life, to our lives, as the, the Word of God uh, comes to bear upon our lives. Um, now, that's, that's hard for me because I could just dispense information without applying it, but I have a responsibility to apply it. And I want to apply it. I, I, want, I, I do try to apply it to my life, and I want to help you to apply it to your life. But here's the, here's the rub. You're ultimately accountable to apply it to your own life. It's really in your court. That's the way Christ preached. He, uh, he said, okay, here's the Sermon on the Mount. He gave it out there. And he says, oh, now, are you going to be like the, uh, the wise man or the foolish man? If you do what it says, you're the wise man. If you don't do what I say, you're the foolish man. Wow. Now, what I want to do is, is try to help you, though, apply it. But I don't know every circumstance of every life that's in this building right now. I don't know that. So you have to apply it to your own life. I will try to make it as practical and applicable as possible. But, but, and, and that's what I want to do. And that's my goal. That's what I want to do. Well, I've learned other things. Don't, uh, don't just think I'm stopping there. But I'm going to stop there. There are other things that I've learned. But those are some things that I, I think that are important that you need to know. We need to know. We need to, to see when I, when I evaluate. Carl, what is it that I'm supposed to do as a pastor? I, I open the Word of God and I see 2 Timothy. And Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, guard this truth, Timothy. This is so important, Timothy. Get it and guard it. Have it and hold it. And then entrust it to other people. Pass it on to other people. To faithful men who is going to be able to do the same thing that you're doing. And then just, just faithfully preach it, Timothy. 
faithfully preach it. Now, the result of that, I hope, I hope, is going to be ministry that it just explodes because we know the truth and we want to get the truth out. We want to spread the truth. That's what happens when the truth is being taught, when the Word is working in your life, in my life. We, we want to make it known. And we'll take every opportunity. If we have a generator, we, we lend the generator. But then we take the opportunity. Hey, you know what? God's been very good to us. He's blessed us. And we share about Christ. Now, now let me just take a, an opportunity to apply this in a different way. Maybe this hasn't made sense to you. Maybe, maybe you, you don't know this whole Christian thing. Maybe this is all new to you, this preach the word and, and the truth and what is truth anyway. And maybe you're still in that world. Maybe you haven't recognized your own sinfulness. Maybe God hasn't brought you to that point yet. But I pray that He will. And I call you to repent. I call you to repent of your sins and submit yourself to this word, to the facts of this word, to the truth. Jesus Christ did come and He did die on the cross for sin to take it away so that we can be free from our sins. And anybody, anybody that that comes before Him, bows the knee and and, uh, accepts that gift is, is accepted, is received, and is one of God's children. But now for the... Believers that are here, how do we apply this truth? Well, let me just encourage you to find ways in your own life to apply these things. Apply this. Get on board with what we're doing here at Daniel's Bible Church. Get on board here. Get involved in ministry. I'm hoping that there will be multiple places of ministry. Ministry should just crop up. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. And this is sometimes an illustration of maybe how blind I am, but... Friday night, windstorm, okay? You know the situation? I go out, we had to get my boys, we're coming back, and man, this wind and all this rain and lightning was incredible. I come back home and, and, uh, and we're safe and secure and, and uh, we're, we're good. And um, the next day, though, I, Vern came over to our house and, and I said, Vern, I said, what was it like out there? You know what he said? He said I said, what do you see, Vern? I said, he said, opportunities for ministry. I think, man, that's right. That's right. It's opportunities for the church, for God's people to just rally around and help or help in the community, do as much as we can. Use these opportunities to give out the truth. To give out the truth. We spread the word. We spread the truth. And we get on board. We're all, we're all in this, on this wheel together. And we get on board. Well, I believe that one of the essential parts of the church is to to elevate the truth and be the support and the pillar of the truth. The pastor has that responsibility to make sure that truth does not erode, does not get watered down, does not change, does not get stretched beyond the, the, uh, the support of Scripture. And I will do my best to make sure that Daniel's Bible Church remains a place where the truth is taught. Remains the place where where it is the hub of ministry and ministry just happens because of the truth. It, It ignites our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, You are You are kind. 
You are a good God. Even, even when it doesn't look like it, even when we have storms in our life and our lives are turned upside down, Lord, all we have to go on is this truth, this word. And Lord, that's what you want us to be dependent upon because that's a life of faith. We're demonstrating faith in an ancient book, in, in old words. But those words are true. Those words are powerful. Lord, help us to guard them. Help us to entrust them to other people. Help us, Lord, to to be faithful to preach them and to spread that word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.